we are talking about a comic book which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 63 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. This episode is going to be all about how my sinuses are trying to crawl out through my eyes. Uh, Cold start, go. <laughs> Jesus. I am Luke, and I am joined today by Andy Padel and Joel Simon. Son of a bitch. Uh, this issue is issue. This episode is based around one of Andy's suggestions. We're going to read the first, it turns out, the first trade, which is the first four issues of the original uh, The Authority. Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch from 99. Um, yeah. <coughs> and uh, it was the successor to Stormwatch back in the day. Um, uh, so we'll we'll get into that later. Uh, we're going to start off the show by talking about a couple of pieces of news that we uh, completely forgot about last time. And I don't know how we missed this, but... Because we're on the ball. That's how we missed <laughs> this. We are always on the ball and we're never running on like two hours of sleep. Never, ever, ever. Uh the the big the big news that that came out last week that we should have talked about is the um, that Fatal uh, the Brubaker Phillips um, Cthulhu Noir crime book is ending at issue twenty four, which is somewhat bad news in and of itself, except for the fact that the reason it's happening is because uh, Brubaker and Phillips signed a contract with Image for a five year deal. Uh, where they're basically given carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want. Like, they can literally green light their own projects. They can green light is the, the key to that. And so they can, they can, they basically, if they create it, Image will publish it. Which is, like, holy fuck. I, I just want, like, literally more sleep. Four years. 11 months of just pure gold and then something completely <laughs> insane. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm talking like Alan Moore be like, whoa, that's, I, I wouldn't even go that far, guys. That's, that's like Lobster much. Johnson quality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. Like, because, I mean, it's, it's an interesting sign from, uh, from a publisher like Image to, put that much faith in in anybody like in it and it's it's nice to see a publisher putting faith in the people that make them the most money right you know they realize that their creators are actually what give them power and they give them more power i was actually really so we were talking sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but uh, we were talking several weeks ago about like uh the kind of market and mind share of the different uh different publishers. publishers and how you know it's kind of called the big two but we think it should be the big three because of image and then i looked at the actual market share and realized that the images despite frankly publishing the best comic books on the market right now are still like wildly behind the big two which is baffling it's like it was literally like uh is like marvel was 38 percent dc was like 35 percent and image was eight and a half percent. It's not really that surprising <coughs> because image is still grouped into a certain extent with like Dark Horse, IDW. Um, yeah, those guys are like as much as I would. I love some of the books from Dark Horse and and IDW and Oni Press. They were they were even way farther down the list. They were in like the two percent yeah, range. It's, it's not a, it's not an issue of quality or anything like that. So right. it shouldn't be taken as an insult. You know, to, to lump them together. It's just it's different markets. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. it's it's partially also distribution and and marketing, yeah. right? Like they, the Marvel can put a fuckload of marketing power behind every book that they make because they have the empire to do it. Disney and yeah. Image, and they have movies. DC has sure. movies also. You know, well, an Image which people are familiar with has well, one movie. <laughs> yeah, one. What, what Spawn? Oh, John Leguizamo as. Uh, Is that the only movie that has been made from an Image property? There's got to be more than that, I mean, right? There's there's probably some more that I'm not thinking of that are just like uh, Cowboys and Aliens or something like that, most likely. Yeah. 
But, uh, it, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I should know more about the comic industry than this. But I'm a little, I'm a little surprised that they were that far behind. What's well, like? Okay, so to go back to that real quick, Disney owns Marvel. Uh, Time Warner owns DC. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've got two mega global corporations sure. and all their backing. And you know who owns Image? Image. Image. Yeah. Well, an Image is never gonna. I, I can't. I cannot imagine Image ever selling the Image brand to a larger corporation solely because of their business model. Their, you know, everything that they make is creator owned to some degree. Um, everything. Um, the creators retain all their rights to their properties, which is awesome for the creators, and it does really well for Image. Um, but it also means that there's less clout. There's uh, there seems to be less marketing clout behind their stuff. There's not as much transmedia things going on, like you said, with TV shows and movies and all that kind of stuff. And um, there, which means that their distribution just isn't going to be as big. Yeah, which which is kind of a shame. But it's awesome that it's awesome that even with only an eight percent market share, they're still um, extraordinarily su- successful, right? And they're they're solvent. Yeah. So we don't need to necessarily worry that that eight percent is going to make them. F- you know, go away. So to a certain extent, uh, one of the nice things about, you know, yes, it's 8%, but they don't have as much of the, the, the back like overhead, the, the, the overhead and just the, you know, the mass of stuff that needs to be supported right. by these comics. Yeah. So, I mean like, you know, Marvel makes what, 32% you said it's third. I think it was like 37 or 38 Sure, 38%, whatever it's 30. But they've also got, you know, their, you know, their, their distribution channels that are specifically for Marvel. They've got their, um, all of their press and all of the stuff that they put that, you know, that's money that's got the back door. Um, their editorial staff is huge. You know, yeah. And that's a chunk of the profits. Yeah. No, I, I don't necessarily disagree because um, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because you get to see, uh, because image now has the flexibility to do something like what they're doing with Brubaker and Phillips where, one of their best creative teams, one of their most popular creative teams, and um, in Brubaker, at least, one of the most popular writers from one of the big two in the last 15 years. Now, they understand that their that their success rides on their creators, which is the polar opposite of the attitude of DC, at least Marvel. DC. Yeah. Marvel, Marvel is to some degree the same as DC though, because they do as much as we, they're way better. Don't get me wrong, but as much as we want to think that they, you know, with the Marvel architects and stuff, they, um, they have more of a handle on it. They still do everyone. You still hear stories of shitty editorial interference and stuff coming out of Marvel, um, which is kind of a shame. I'm not going to say that they aren't fantastically better than DC, though. I mean, DC is just a clusterfuck, which is, uh, which means, frustratingly, it means that they're both Marvel and DC's entire thirty plus percent each is entirely in their properties and not in their creators. Yeah, which is infuriating. Infuriatingly backward. Um, which is why I love Marvel or. Uh, image you know so much now they've gotten image image i feel like has gotten it right because like both like um like idw and boom studios and dark horse all it feels like they well it feels like they they have these um great creator owned books every one of them like oni press all of them have at least one book that is just like this defining creator own thing, right? Like Oni Press has the sixth gun and IDW has lock and key or had lock and key. Um, you know, the Dark Horse has things like Ghost, right? And some of the newer things that they're doing that are really good. Um, but it feels like they support their business through licensed books, which is, which none of them are really all that great. Like some like IDW has like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? And yeah. Dark Horse has fucking everything. They've still got Alien and Predator, and um, I think they still do the do they still do the Terminator books? I don't think there's been a Terminator like, book in a long time. Sure, and like, um, is it who's doing the RoboCop stuff right now? That's I think is Dark it, Horse. Is it Dark Horse? Okay, so. <clears throat> so, but it, and I mean Dynamite's the same way. Dynamite is like the king of like shitty licensed properties. Yeah, like, we're gonna make a Green Hornet comic book. Yeah, right. 
We're going to make a book called Kevin Smith's Green Hornet, except Kevin Smith doesn't actually have any involvement in it. Um, <clears throat> it was... It, I like the, the the books that come out of those studios that are independent or creator-owned are clearly their best stuff. But you know damn well that it's not their best-selling stuff, right? Mm. So it's like... It's it's frustrating because some of the best quality just doesn't – there's times where you sit there and look at the comic book industry and feel like quality just doesn't fucking matter. Well, I mean, for for some, yeah, it definitely. I mean, well, with how I equate it is like Marvel and DC are <clears throat> are the, the Chevy and the Ford. Sure. Of car making, right? Yeah. They don't they don't make anything particularly special, but you know you can. I think buy Chevy and Ford are the Chevy and Ford of car making, actually. And yeah. Marvel and DC would be the. What? <laughs> no, no. Anyway, I get what you're saying. I'm just making. I'm being an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Just a skosh. Uh, <laughs> no, but so to equate in like comic book, those those guys are like that, and. E.G. Oh, God, E.G. E.G.? Uh, really? Image. Image <laughs> is a lot like Ferrari, where they make more boutique specialty yeah. you know, stuff that goes fast and gives <laughs> you something a little, bit, a little bit different. That's Bentley. I, yeah. <laughs> Should I? I'll just <laughs> no. shut up now. No, you're um, right. I mean, it's... You're absolutely uh, correct. And I, uh, but it, it, Image gives you something completely different that you wouldn't want. And, and also, uh, it seems like Marvel and DC are more... Um, for everybody, they're they're trying to please everybody, and yeah. Image is more for core comic book fans. I think Image is like the Criterion Collection version of <laughs> yeah. comics, and then you've got like the Full Moon, which is Avatar. <laughs> oh wow, that's a that's a '90s reference for you. Yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna go hang myself in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm out. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I'm. I'm really, really looking forward to what Brubaker and Phillips will be able to yeah. put out when they have their own complete creative freedom. And I'm also waiting for this to be more <clears throat> common, um, with especially with Image, because Image is successful enough to pull it off. Um, I'm hoping that uh, they give this kind of um, deal to other high-level creators like Rick Remender or... Um, um, God, why am I blanking on my one of my favorite fucking writers' name? The uh, Fraction, Matt Fraction. Thank you, Jesus Christ. I'm not even, I, I, it's morning. It's morning. Listeners at home, I'm just sort of staring at Luke and like, why can't you remember names? Sometimes? Because my sinuses are drowning my brain in snot. Okay, that's why I can't remember anything right now. But the thing is, they'll never be able to steal the market share from the no, big two. no. And you know what? I, that's not the goal. I, think. I don't think it is either. It, and and, I, and it I shouldn't be. It. I think it's almost it's almost like um, the the big two are their own market, and I, I really do think they are their own market. Yes, they're technically part of the comic book industry, but they're not. They're not the same fans or the same league as as Image and Boom Studios and IDW and the rest of them. And if you take them out of the equation, Image is clearly top of the heap, right? Um, and that's awesome because it's like you said, if you take, you know, if you take General Motors out of the auto industry, you know, take take like Ford and General Motors out of the auto industry, and now you've got you know other smaller, you know boutique uh, automakers that are making specialized things. Yeah. Oh, did you hear that bullshit about New New Jersey? Jersey? Yeah. Oh, my God. (sighs) What happened? Let's talk about finances because that's shit that I love. Um, Governor Christie, I'll go ahead. So Tesla is terrifying automakers because of a lot of reasons, including the fact that you don't ever need to change the oil and there's all that sort of stuff. Mm. Uh, Governor Christie has banned New Jersey from having any t- sort of Tesla dealership. So the it's not directly against wow. Tesla. What they've done is they've passed a law that says that automakers are not allowed to s- direct sell their own automobiles, that they have to go through licensed dealerships and have a middleman. Well, and Tesla... Um, mostly the electric car makers. So like... Uh, Tesla and um, 
oh god, I can't remember who makes the other. There's this other badass electric car that uh, um, sells their own things, but they, it's it's smaller automakers. But Tesla is the biggest of the ones that's affected, and the one that has the most. Um, Frankly, Tesla is kind of the leading leading the forward looking auto industry, right? They're mm. leading the yeah. electric car and um, clean energy movement in automaking. So, um, the other ones that it affects are like minimal, yeah. if if yeah. if at all, and basically, Governor Christie just gave a big fucking middle finger to. Uh, actual like free market competition (laughs) pretty much okay christy Uh, it's not like anybody can drive to new york where everybody works from new jersey right and buy a tesla or go south to virginia well if he plans the roads correctly they won't be able to (laughs) (laughs) or if or if he closes bridges like he did that one time (laughs) yeah oh yeah anyway that's not that's not comic book related at all it's just bullshit um Okay. Yeah, I did want to. <clears throat> I did want to talk a little bit about comics that I'm reading lately because I'm finally caught up on my on my issues again. I am giving up Letter Forty Four. Um, I'm just, just can't do it. It's it's not. It's not. It's one of those things. Like when I gave up the unwritten, it was because I was horrendously disappointed in it. When I'm giving up Letter Forty Four, <clears throat> it's just because it's at the bottom of my stack and I'm not it's I've just lost interest not excited to read it yeah it had a great log line at the beginning and a very good start first issue and that and it's just the way that the creators have decided to play out that storyline is not the way that I would have liked them to and it's just not interesting to me so I'm just I'm dropping it but on the opposite end of that spectrum black science is fucking fantastic yeah. uh, it just gets better every issue and from the same creator, the new one that I'm reading now is Deadly Class. That's um, also an amazing book. Deadly, it's two issues in, and the whole thing centers around literally a a high school for assassins. So it's Remender and Scalera. No, Scalera is the one that does uh, Black Science. It's um, I'm not going to be able to remember his name, so I will. Uh, <laughs> so it's a school. That, it's a high school that centers around assassins. It starts out in the 80s. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 87. 87. Okay. Metal detectors? No. So, well, here's here's it's really awesome because it's really over the top, right? The the premise is that all of the kids in this high school are somehow are are the children of um uh high-level criminals basically. So, uh any if there's a crime syndicate, there's multiple crime syndicates in the world and they all send their kids to this school to learn how to be uh high-level assassins and criminals. Um, and what happens is that one this one kid gets recruited by another student, and this kid is actually just a street rat. He's like somebody who's um, homeless, living on his own, uh, gets, like, steps in front of the wrong people, basically, and, and then gets saved by a, a girl from the school and brought in, and then gets sponsored into the school, um, even though he... He well, as far as we know, he hasn't got any real ties to a crime family of any sort. Um, it is, it's really good. Like it's, um, I mean, it's Remender. His writing is awesome, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to more of it. The first two issues were fantastic. The Wes Craig is the artist. Thank you. Um, so it's it's the blind side for assassins. Yeah, it's a, it's a feel-good movie. Okay. Uh, you know. Yep. Good. Homeless kid gets taken in, gets sent to school, becomes yeah. a murder machine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's really cool. It's, it gets so over the top with the, you know, they introduce him to the school, and the school is in this, like, it's this, uh, like, 17th century mansion building that's in a cave underground. And okay. it's it's fantastic. I'm I'm really, really enjoying that book so far. The first two issues have been fantastic, and I'm looking forward to more. Um, and you know, all my other usual standbys are still awesome. Sex criminals is still fantastic. So it sounds um, like fractions just still running on all cylinders. Deadly classes remender. Oh, okay. Fraction it's, is running on all cylinders. Like, like black science is, is remender, remender too. God, yeah. I need, I need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been reading, Joel? I haven't. I no, honestly, I'm sorry. I haven't. Uh, Legends, I did kill stats. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, Lol, really? Watch. Lol's great. 
Mm, I did watch it. It's a good time killer. I did watch Thor Dark World 2. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought it was They made a sequel movie. to the Dark World? Thor 2 Dark World. <laughs> whatever. I'm going to do Dude. this to you all day, all sir. Day. Uh, my brain can't think of anything reasonable, but it certainly can be a sarcastic dickwad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've been watching Thor 2 The Dark World. Thor to the Dark World, yeah, and I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really really good movie, and I wasn't I wasn't the I mean Thor was a good movie, but I wasn't the best. So I actually enjoyed this more for some reason. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I'm looking forward to watching it though. I, I I'd say rent it. It's it's a good popcorn movie. I'll probably own it. I own a lot of weird like I I I own movies that other people think I shouldn't, but. I own them anyway because usually I get them for like five bucks. Hey, the Fast and the Furious series is fantastic. It really, legitimately, especially the new, the newest trilogy, especially the second one. Oh, the second one's so bad. Thank you. I'm. I will always admit when there's a really legitimately bad movie in a series, and that and fast like, like uh, Mission Impossible Two is another example of just a phenomenally bad movie. Yeah. In an otherwise pretty good series, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I've I've been watching Veronica Mars because we're we're power watching the show to so well, like, watch the movie. The, the movie's like an hour and forty five minutes, man. You don't need to power watch it. You can just sit down and relax <laughs> and enjoy it. And then a couple hours later, you're done. No, we just finished the first season again, and it's it's that show is fantastic. I, I have a feeling. I really feel like that show was was launched at the wrong time. Like if it had come out. A couple years ago, it would still be running. Um, the first season of that show gets... It starts out tropish, but then it fixes itself it rather quickly. It fixes itself real fast, and it gets it gets real dark. Like It gets darker than most network TV would be willing to go with high school students, yeah. is what I should say. Outside because of Buffy? Of, wasn't that, yeah, wasn't that on uh, CW or UPN? I think... Maybe I thought it was on Fox. No, I think it was uh, CW. Okay. Uh, I don't know what affiliate CW is. The WB. WB at yeah, the time. Yeah. yeah. So like, uh, I was watching uh, WB a few nights ago, and I was talking to uh, my girlfriend, and we were watching like, what real shows does this network have? Like actual shows, because it doesn't seem like they have any quality. It Which had, one? I think the WB. Gossip Girl. I have He said real shows. Come on, real shows. Okay, no, I'm just saying they're they're really okay. I live I live with a a teenager girl, and Gossip Girl was um, was the big one. Yeah, or yeah, you know those Revenge is another one. Those is that CW? I think so. Yeah, <clears throat> the good the good stuff. Ah, uh, yes, it was um, it was on UPN. Okay. During the final two years of the UPN, and then it was on the CW. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. When WB and UPN so merged. So let's talk about comics for one minute. Yeah, and yeah. Then yeah, go ahead. So to, that's what I've, I've been not reading. Andy, what have you been reading? Uh, actually, since the last episode, I haven't picked up anything. However, the Stray Bullets anthology book came out, which yeah. is every single issue of Stray Bullets. I've got it waiting for me at my comic shop. Yeah, me, me too. Um, for the listeners at home... Go pick it up. Stray Bullets is one of the comics that actually got me into comics, like as um, something other than superheroes fighting superheroes. Uh, it is a fantastic story that takes place in I think it starts in seventy seven or seventy eight, and then goes forward with that. It's a great crime drama. Um, Dave Lapham, Lapham, Lapham. I don't know how to pronounce his last fucking name. Lapham. Dave Lapham uh, writes one hell of a story. And he is completely insane in that good way. Um, the art's solid. Yeah, that's that's all I got. I just wanted to make sure that people know about it. Yeah, I've I've heard really good things about it. That's why I, I've never read it, but I actually ordered pre-ordered the the Uberalis edition. Uberalis blind um, because I've I have not heard a single bad thing about it yet. So. <laughs> Michael Bay is remaking the birds. They explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They have to. Yeah. That's the only explanation. Like, okay, I will go on the record for saying that I don't like the birds. I 
I understand that you know back in its day. Wow, that's a whole bunch of untangling. Yeah, just, yeah, just get, uh, get, yeah. Oh, get it. Just, oh, yeah, stall yeah. up in there. Um, like I don't like the birds. I don't like how it ended. I, I just don't. Understand. I don't remember how it ended. They just leave. Oh yeah, that's right. They just leave, and that was like the whole movie. You're like, why don't you just get the fuck out of the town? And then they get the fuck out of the town. You're like, oh, yeah, you could have just gotten out the fuck out of the town the whole time. Um, Thirty Days of Night had um, short like horror stories, uh-huh. and one of my favorite ones was that there's these two kids who bust open a jar in a, an Egyptian museum, yeah, and it unleashes Horus. Okay. And Horus uh, activates all the world's population of birds to become aggressive and just fuck things up. <laughs> um, and then Ra comes back to trap Horus again. And uh, the two kids who accidentally broke the jar, <laughs> Ra needs their organs in order to seal him back up. And that's how the story ends. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so... We read the first trade of the authority. Yes. The first four issues. Why'd you pick this book, Andy? Um, I really like... Uh, so, okay, uh, let's let's talk about the authority for a second. I think the authority is an excellent interpretation of Justice League. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to just punching villains in the face, they solve things differently. Um, not in this first arc, they don't. Not... Well... So, so let's give a let's get a little publication history first of all. This is a this was published by Wildstorm, um, and this is after Storm. Wildstorm split off from Image and uh, uh, became part of DC. And so this like a lot of the Wildstorm characters that were in the Image universe were dragged over to the DC universe um, and published under the Wildstorm imprint. Um, so that's around when Stormwatch ended. Yeah, so basically, um, it's a direct follow-up to Stormwatch. Uh, Stormwatch, sort of, well, the, the end of Stormwatch that happened, I think Stormwatch got rebooted to a certain extent at some point in the middle of Sure, this. every comic but, does. Uh, all of Stormwatch just gets fucked. Like, hardcore, most of the team dies, uh, except for Jenny Sparks, and Jenny Sparks decides to make a new team. And sure. so she recruits uh, Apollo, Midnighter, um, oh, fuck. The Doctor, the Engineer. Yeah. And um, then... And the... The bird chick, the huntress, or I can't, yeah. I can't remember her name. And one of my favorite things about this is it's not always they don't necessarily defeat all their problems by just you know punching someone in the dick. There's a, a one of the guys who they're like, look, you're super genius. We can oh, and Hawthorne, we forgot about the guy or Hawkmore, the guy that's Hawkmore. yeah, the, the, the the spirit of the city yeah, thing. Yeah, um, they they convert a guy. They're like, look, we can we can keep fighting you over and over again. But you say that you want to fix things. Why don't you work with us? Yeah. And he's like, no, no one's ever asked me that before. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll work. So they, they get a mad scientist at one point. <laughs> but also they have absolutely no problems uh, taking out um, things that, like, we realize we can't negotiate with this. There's a uh, an alternate reality that has aliens and that basically has started a rape culture on Earth. And they're taking over other parallel Earths. And they're like... Okay, well, I know we're gonna we're gonna deal with this, and they just fucking obliterate every single one of these aliens. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. Um, like, just it's not the stories aren't always a very for, formulaic A B C punch superhero to death, superhero or supervillain uh, to death, supervillain escapes and they fight him again. I don't think they ever fight someone. Maybe like twice. There's one guy I think who gets away, and then they fight him again later on. But it's. It's just different stories as opposed to the constant, okay, who's the, the villain of the week this month? Yeah. And so this book, the book that we read is, is written, by, um, written by Warren Ellis and drawn by Brian Hitch. Uh, and this was <clears throat> not super early in Brian Hitch's career because he had been doing Stormwatch for a while. Yeah. Um, but it's, you could definitely tell that this is early Brian Hitch stuff. It's very... It's very imagey, you know, very oh, much yeah. rooted in that what kind of Wildstorm style that they had for I, a while. I love the Wildstorm stuff, like the Gen 13. Um, sure. Oh, God, what was that? It was not Bloodshot. The, um, oh, the, the like the, the world, the, not What Works. Fucking, I love What Works. What Works was good, too. Um, the one that's like the, the parents of Gen 13. It's like Operation 7 or something like that. Oh, Team 7. Team 7, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love all of those books. Every like sort of the the mythos that surrounds the Team 7 Gen 13 programs. Yeah. Um there's like a probably 3-year period in Wildstorm's history where I could read every single one of those books mm-hmm. and just 
be completely content. Yeah. What Works was actually one of my favorite of that era from the Image Wildstorm era. What Works was great. Cyberforce was shit, but yeah. Um, you were going to say something, Joel. What were you going to say? Uh, I was I was going to say that Brian Hitch. I loved his artwork because he reminded me of Alan Davis. And I used to read Excalibur back in the day when Alan Davis mm-hmm. was, and it was something completely different than everything else that I had seen, just uh, the strong lines and whatnot. And Brian Hitch really reminds me of that school of he, Alan Davis. And Hitch's artwork has evolved quite a bit over the last, because this, this book is now 15 years old, yeah. Yeah. and his art has evolved quite a bit. There's like a turning point maybe seven years ago where yeah. a, like his art... like. There's a very distinct, like maybe a year where, like, you can see him trying to figure out what he's going to do, and then all of a sudden it just like it clicks for him, and he just goes with it. Yeah, and there's a that actually happens with quite a few artists. If you if you follow them in the long term, there's a lot of artists who, you know, they they start in one of those kind of artist mill type environments, like Image for a while. There was there was very definitely like. The McFarlane image mill, the Jim Lee image mill, and then the uh, the like um, Eric Larson. No, like the the Wait, Wildstorm. Like Sylvester. Jim Lee is part of was Sylvester. part of Wildstorm. Yeah, like the Mark Silvestri sort of style. Um, so you get you know you get these very distinct looks, and then a lot of those artists, if they're good. Eventually, they evolve out of that and they do something more, you know, more unique, unique on their own. And Brian Hitch is definitely one of those guys because I remember the first time I got into Brian Hitch's artwork was in uh, the Ultimates because um, okay. uh, that was that was really like so. Um, I'm trying to think. Ninety nine was an era of for me where I was not in comics, like because. In 97 was when my apartment burned and took my comic book collection with it. So for many years after that, I was just not, I did not read comics at all and then got back into them when somebody introduced me to uh, Ultimate X-Men and about at about issue five or six. Um, and so I, I read a few things and kind of got into the Ultimate X-Men stuff and got into the Ultimates and then, um, and then worked my way back, back into, into everything else. Everything else. Um, but it's it's fun looking at Brian Hitch's art from from this because there are there are definitely some uh, re- repetitive flaws in his artwork in this that are kind of fun I, to yeah. see. No, I, I understand. <laughs> it's you know it's going back to look at not like you said not necessarily his earliest work, but his yeah. earlier work or earlier work. Yeah, like. He's like, uh, you got to work on that a little bit. And nowadays, if you see that sort of thing, you're like, oh, no, no, he, you, you got it. You nailed it. You figured out what you were doing yeah. wrong. Like his hands, especially. Like his hands are, sometimes his fingers just kind of look it, like slugs attached yeah. to a, you know, a plate. And it's like, mm, There's it's, one distinct photo of Jack Hawthorne. Hawthorne? Hawkmore? Hawkmore. 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 I don't fucking remember. Hawthorne. Why Hawthorne. can I not remember? Hawkmore Thorn. Where, like, <laughs> he's, pork. he's like he's balling up his hand into what's like almost a fist, but it just looks like there is a stump with, as you put it, five slugs hanging off of it. <laughs> yeah. so, like and he never wears shoes either, and feet are not a strong point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a little. There are there are brief. Uh, life filled esque moments uh, to some of his artwork, yeah. But they are brief and they are fall far apart. Uh, for the most part, the artwork is just fantastic in this book. Like it's really good, and it's it, it's definitely very indicative of that Wildstorm style of the of that era. But it's um, it's just it's 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 well done artwork, and it's his his panel constructions are really good. Like his his anatomy gets a little wonky every once in a while there's a scene with a uh, midnighter and apollo walking down a tube and apollo just looks fucked up like <laughs> like little tiny short super muscular legs and this weird fucking torso and like it does not look good but for the most part it gets he gets the point across really well and i i really enjoy the artwork in the book um i'm i don't know i, I this book to me, like going to going to the storyline and stuff, it in 1999, I feel like this book would have been at least mildly ahead, um, of, the curve. ahead of the curve. Oh yeah, it is. But reading it now, um, I have to take into 
I have to take into account the era when it came out because it is so full of things that are now tropes in especially in superhero books um like so when i was reading comics in the early to mid 90s um the things that would have been considered quote unquote adult were actually just hyper violent hyper violent or frankly they were like they were like a 12 year old's idea of what an adult thing should be mm. which is including like for the longest time, Spawn was one of my favorite comic books when I was a kid. But Spawn, you go back and read it now, and it's it's, it's literally it's like absolute shit. You, you, it's literally like a thirteen year old decided that oh, I wonder what would be adult. Oh, let's make this super violent and put a child molester and some boobies and blurg blurg blurg. Um, and it's just not very well written. I still own the hardcovers because I still I'm there's a soft spot in my heart for Spawn because it was one of the books that really made me get away from. Uh, the Marvel and DC things, and try and try other, you know, other books. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's bad. Um, and the authority, like, it's it's definitely a more adult take on a superhero team, right? Like, like yeah. you said, it's a it's a different take on like a Justice League style team. Yeah. Um, geared more toward adults, but a lot of a lot of what they do in the book just feels um, kind of played out now because, like, if you look at the way that the team constructs itself in the book and the way that the the way that everything comes together, um, it's the um, my immediate thought the the very first thing that came to mind was Hickman's Avengers, the new uh, run of Hickman's Avengers. Right, right. It's it's they play out so close to each other um there there's there's so many similarities um and of course you know you you got um a lot of the warren ellis wackiness kind of winged into the sides like the the scenes with the with the carrier and the little stanley-esque captions um about where the carrier is flying that's very warren ellis because it was, it was, Traveling you know, at twenty-five dreams per second. Yeah, things like that. You see that stuff in there, and, and it's clear that Warren Ellis was like, "Well, I want to write something really weird, but yeah, it won't sell, so I'm just going to wing weirdness into my mainstream books." So the, um, I'm actually reading some stuff on this right now, and one of the things that um, Ellis, the reason Ellis did Authority, is because Stormwatch didn't sell well. Yeah, I was reading that too, and like everyone at the Image Office liked reading it. So he's like, you know, guys, look, I know you're keeping me employed because you like reading this, but I want to do something different. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And so he started doing authority. Yeah. Um, so outside of this book, the, the, the creative pairings that they had are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, the second run being uh, Mark Miller and, and Frank, Frank Quitely. Yeah. It's just it's like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, there was uh, that was also back when Millar's stuff was tolerable, and he he wasn't like he might have been a dick, but we didn't know he was a dick. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that he was writing was not just movie scripts, uh, you know, kind of couched as comic books. Like that was a, around the era that I actually liked Mark Millar's stuff because it wasn't too long after this that he did Ultimates and, just, and yeah. knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Right, yeah. like he had. This like it was the beginning of his sort of run of just being fucking super brilliant and getting stuff out on time mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I, I just confirmed by reading this Wikipedia article that I'd heard before was that there was going to be a relaunch of the title at one point with Azarello and Glenn Fabry. Who? Um, but because of been cool. the September 11th attacks, that got scrapped. It was like going to be a darker version. Yeah. Um, and it went to uh, was it Morrison and Dwayne Turner. Robert Morrison, Dwayne Turner, sounds right. But just the teams that they had, like, for... And each creative team has their own take of the authority. Yeah. Uh, and it, they're vastly different. Yeah, and, and that was my problem, is I read the, the first this first trade, and I really loved it, so I bought the second trade, and I was like, uh Because that's when it goes into Millar. And how mm-hmm. Millar... Well, I mean, it depends. Like, the first... So, the fir- technically, the volume one first trade is only four issues. There's actually okay. So follow me through on this, right? Uh, I was looking this up. There's three or four different versions of the first. Yeah, trade it's a wildstorm DC yeah. thing, so that's there's not a four surprising. Issue one, there's an eight issue one. There's a twelve issue one, and then there's a hardcover one that's like those twelve issues and like a one off. And I'm yeah. like, 
Well, fuck. Which one am I supposed to get for the podcast? I'll just do the first four. Yeah, I was just going to say, I read the first four, so I don't... I, I've The Authority is a book that I've never read before. I read Stormwatch. I read at least the first half of the Stormwatch run before my collection went up in smoke. Um, but I never read The Authority at all. Um, so I also have no... I this is the first time I've read any of it. Okay. I don't have any comparison to like the Miller Quitely stuff or the later like I've heard that Grant Morrison Gene Ha run is fantastic, um, but I haven't read any of that either. So, uh, the, specifically this run, like for me when I was re- uh, when I was deciding which one to do, um, I went with the the very beginning because I think it's the most interesting of the stories insofar yeah. as yeah. it gives you all the dynamics of all the characters, but it doesn't go so far into detail, which is later on after things have been built up, like um, Apollo and Midnighter have some problems later on with each other. But I, I do like... One of the things that I really liked about this book was how well he manages to throw a brand new team together in a continuity that already exists without making me feel like I absolutely have to read that previous continuity. Um, One of the things that I think has been lost in comic books and especially comic book movies lately is the ability to introduce a character without having to explain that character's origin to death. Um, Because that's the way characters came about in comic books. Like, Wolverine Which, was just a dude who fought against the Hulk. Yeah, like you show you show c- characters show up and you don't fucking know where they came from. You don't know where the Punisher came from when he started shooting at Spider Man. Um, you, they just come in and things happen, and then you worry about dribbling out little bits of their history over as time things as yeah. things progress, and that's fine if it's necessary. But for the most part comic book characters that we all know and love just showed up like the the vast majority of the original x-men that are still around you know when you have like like the the original five right the beast and Iceman and cyclops and gene gray and uh, Angel. angel like when they introduced those characters in the 60s it was just like hey what's some goofy goofy fucking powers we can give people and Marvel Girl, she's got mind powers. Yeah. We'll call this guy Snowman. No, wait. Iceman. <laughs> yeah. This guy's got wings. What should we call him? How about Angel? Yeah. Sounds That's great. perfect. Cyclops wasn't an original, but go ahead. Okay. He wasn't? No. It was just the four. Beast, Angel. Um, oh, shit. No, I think no, Cyclops was original. On one, God damn it. There were five. So I'm going to stick you on something. <laughs> um, it's and and I thought this book did did really well with that, right? Like I didn't feel like I needed to go watch or needed to go read Stormwatch. They gave enough hints about this previous team having existed and something going wrong, and them trying to rebuild from that, and that's fine because that kind of stuff also is is like should be common. Like you do that. You, you give little hints as to previous events that you don't necessarily explain because it helps build the world around the characters yeah. that you're in. I mean, it makes it feel like there has been things before this. It's like you need, you need to know that there was a previous team that Jenny Sparks was on and that they mostly got massacred, which is why this team got created. Right. You don't need to know that there was an internal betrayal on their spaceship that moved <laughs> around the planet and that's how they all died. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm... I'm babbling on, so you guys talk about the book yeah. for a while. I I forgot, so rereading this, because I, I read it a while ago, and I forgot how good Warren Ellis is as a writer. Because it, how, like, speaking to what you're saying, how everything doesn't need to be explained thoroughly, that that was something that came across in this book. And as the book can, progresses, you could tell how the the characters' b- abilities are explained. Like the engineer is like, I'm still trying to learn. Is like, well, you've got blood that's you know nanobots. Nine like, pints nanobots. Yeah, nine pints, and, and she's like, well, I don't know what to do. If I use it all, I'll die. But I'll try this. Oh, hey, uh, nano blades that destroy all the <laughs> yeah. all the guys. Or um, Hawkmore, who's who gets his his nose starts bleeding when he Hawk goes. Yeah. His nose starts bleeding when he goes into Moscow, and he's like, "Oh, I know this city's trying to tell me that it's been hurt." You know, I I still don't understand 
you know, Hawkmore's power. And that's one of the cool things about it is these characters He's in the here. the king of the cities. Yeah, but they, these characters don't have their your usual superpowers. I mean, there's Apollo and there's, there's uh, Midnighter. Midnighter, which you pretty much Batman, know. Batman, Exactly. Who are gay lovers. Uh, yeah, that's actually um, sort of to speak volumes of the writing on this. Um, the subtlety that Ellis handles things mm-hmm. always catches me off guard. And now I'll admit when the first time I read it, when I was uh, 98 or 99 or whatever, you know, I was quite a bit younger. It was 15 years ago. I didn't realize that Apollo and Midnighter were a couple. And it doesn't explicitly say that it, either. N- you know, it, right, it yeah, does I not. think it does. It does when later, it gets, doesn't when it? When it gets to Ennis, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, maybe towards the end of Ellis's run when they become super famous, uh, it's, it's more of a, a thing. Yeah. But it took me a while until there was like a blatant thing. And I was like, oh, all, all this stuff makes more sense now. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's and especially in 1999 when you know you didn't there were still homosexual community was on the outs. It's not like today where you have gay marriage and it pretty much ex- is accepted. And it's in a lot of. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I, I, I would I say would. I would say progressing toward acceptance. This but was this was before. No, um, I, I'm not saying that it's not more accepted now than it was then. I'm just saying that it's still not really accepted. Look it's guys, just we're living better. Post nine eleven. Wait, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, before that was pretty risque. I mean, yeah, it, it took it took the the big two. 10 years before they actually had a, a real gay character. Yeah. You know? And I, I don't know if I'd say real gay character for DC. Oh, uh, well, yeah. yeah. That's true. Well, I mean... They keep on hamstringing themselves. When was the... When was the um, oh, I can't remember. The character from Alpha Flight? Um, North Star. North Star. His North Star. The, the, that was like five years ago. The, the coming out, though, was in the mid-90s, wasn't it? Like No, I think that was in 2000s. Really? Yeah. yeah. I could have I sworn that was back when I was actually collecting as a kid. Exactly, right? I, I think... I, quotation marks think that uh, Apollo and Midnighter were sort of the premier superhero like homosexual couple interesting yeah. and, and the fact that Marvel it's supposed and... to be Batman and Superman which is hilarious it's like thumbing thumb your nose at DC yeah. <laughs> but um, I hate it, the fact that Wildstorm got merged into DC because it causes so many problems yeah it, they just Midnighter yeah. and Batman like hanging out in the city you know well and the, the other problem that I have with that is and I I have to wonder now that you know after jim lee became uh editor-in-chief of dc and they merged the wildstorm into as a dc imprint you you know damn well that all of those characters that were at one time creator owned are Are now now dc owned -owned characters which means that like all of these characters from the authority were warren ellis's characters and that was one of the reasons why a lot of these characters transferred over from stormwatch to authority was specifically because they were ellis's characters and he was allowed to to take them and use them um but now it seems like it's it's a shame that a lot of this stuff is probably just going to be you know 20 years down the line from now, we're probably going to be like, oh, well, how did, you know, so-and-so get screwed by this DC merger? Because that's what everyone's doing with all the characters that were created in the 50s and 60s now, right? I think that Ellis still owns the original team. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. Actually, I'm not sure about Apollo and Midnighter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what his contracts are, of course. But uh, I think that for, like, Jenny Sparks, definitely, because she doesn't appear after year one. Right. Or she might be in a flashback or something like that. But. Yeah, but she dies at the end of year one, yeah. so spoilers. The spirit of the 20th century. I mean, it's it's not hard. It's, we shouldn't really talk about spoilers it's with Jenny Sparks dying. Yeah. Because it's a 15-year-old book and because when we talked about Planetary, we talked about the fact that she was already dead by the fi- by the time Planetary oh, yeah. happened. Yeah, so. Yeah, and, and that's one of the problems is now that DC has taken over, they've just slathered everything with mayonnaise and made it bland. (laughs) Taken all the spiciness out of all the characters. They took some serious risks with that voodoo comic book that they put out. Oh, God. And ended it. Like, we're being edgy. Look at us. And then took it out. She's a Um, stripper. She's a superhero. She's a super stripper. (sighs) No, no no one? No. Okay. Okay. Cancel the book. Yeah. So, and, and that's one of the things that I loved about this Warren Ellis book is that he had all these characters that didn't have your run-of-the-mill powers, no invisibility, no psychic powers, no, stuff like that. Like, the shaman is a great character because he's a magician, and 
he's using magic in ways that I've never seen magic utilized before. Because if you have the power over the forces of reality, why don't you just change these enemies into little glass shards and then turn them into trees? You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It, it's pretty It's pretty awesome. Like, okay, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah, um, I, I do like the way that they kind of have this strange interplay with a lot of the characters and their abilities. And, and being a Warren Ellis being as British as he is, um, the Doctor is very... Very clearly so an good. homage to the Doctor, um, yeah. with a weirder ability, but still yeah. like just in his style and the way that he acts and the way that he talks and stuff, um, and the way that people talk about him. Whereas, like um, you know, they were t- when they were talking about having real names or not, and they're like, his name is the Doctor, and <laughs> so well, it's like he becomes the Doctor. His name is like Helis at wait, no, that's uh, the engineer. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Engineer, uh, the Doctor is. Um, while he's got the cosmic power or whatever, I can't remember what it's called. He's the doctor. When he's not, he's a recovering drug addict who's Dutch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? Also, I love the fact that they all have serious problems. Like, none of them are, like, not even Ap- Apollo and Midnighter. They're not just, you know, like, oh, we're just one-dimensional characters. We're, yeah. we're superheroes. They yeah. Each have- and that's another thing is the doctor is a is a drug addict, yeah. right? Or recovering drug addict, which no no normal comic book series would touch. I knew it. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. Alpha Flight 106, where North Star comes out, came out in 1992. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Never, but I was like... Cause, and they cause never I, spoke of it again. Because I distinctly remember that happening when I was in like high school collecting comic books and it being a big deal because Alpha Flight was a shit title otherwise. It was like... There was... It was... A marketing tactic is what it was. Yeah. And um, But I just remember... I remember Alpha Flight being nothing. It was was on nobody's radar. It was dying, and then all of a sudden, mainstream media picks up this whole idea hey of guys. a mainstream gay character, and it sells it sells out super fast. And then the title all of a sudden gets this bump in sales, and then it dies again. Um, He's French Canadian, though we don't care. Anyway, g- continue uh, <laughs> the authority. Authority. Uh, non one dimensional characters, Joel. Go. Yeah, yeah, and and just the fact that. The banter between all the different characters Warren Ellis brings out is is so awesome too. Like there's one there's one scene where the Midnighter is fighting one of the guys. Is like I've already thought about all your moves, and I I'm yeah. what I'm what kids think of when they first re- you know think of death. And it, it, like that. I think one of the so that's actually one of my um, one of the issues that I had with the Midnighter, and it's a real stupid little nitpick, but it was a. Uh, the scene later on when Midnighter uh, teleports into the city that's on whatever the island is called, uh, Gamora Island, yeah. Yeah. and the guard walks by and he punches him and the guard's like, uh, I don't think you should be punching me. Um, and then he goes off on his thing, like, I've yeah. seen this fight play out a million times. And I'm thinking to myself, there is a line where he, he punches the guy, the guy reveals himself to be a Gamora guard, yeah. and he goes, oh, hell. And all I could think to myself was, you would have known this. Like if you're gonna if you're the guy that you're, thinks a million moves ahead and can see how everything is gonna play out, you knew this guy was a guard, so why did you say oh hell? Yeah. <laughs> Which like, really reminds me of uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, how he thinks out every fight. Yeah. yeah. So uh, obviously Richie had probably seen that, you know, from the authority. He was like, Oh, this would be cool for Sherlock to do I'm that. I'm gonna use this in my movies. Yeah. Yes. Um so the the first year of authority is the the team that is led by Jenny Sparks and the fact that the team is based on the fact that Jenny Sparks realizes that she has one year left to live and has a lot of things to fix that yeah. she probably should have fixed beforehand uh-huh. um leads to some really good stories it cuz I mean time's it, running out yeah. it seems like it and like I said the book is it's interesting to read it it's interesting to read it through a lens of someone who uh, didn't read it initially. Been, didn't read it initially, and has has read a bunch of stuff since then. Because I feel like, I feel like, um, I don't know if this book was like the catalyst for a lot of those changes in in the more adult style of storytelling in superhero books, but it's definitely something that um, you can see this book's influence in the stuff that is being made now. Like I said, with Hickman's Avengers and with some of the justice league stuff that has happened in the last like five or five or six years. Um, you can see, um, where they, where they shifted to 
telling stories about like conflicts that weren't that didn't seem black like and white. made up from whole cloth and black and white conflicts. They're they're more couched in like real world politics and um centering around ideas that, you know, your average twelve year old probably is you know, that's the beauty of this book too, if is if I mean it might be a little a little mature for a twelve year old if most parents are, you know, not letting their kids read books that have like Oops. people's heads being punched punched in half. Um but there's enough of that, you know, superhero punching people in the dick to entertain. But then there's there's really, a really layer there's a layer of concepts below it. I do think that Warren Ellis goes a little wonky with some of his um like spiritualistic weird bullshit that he always puts in most of his books and especially the stuff with the carrier. I think the carrier is <laughs> It's an unnecessary explanation for how they can teleport anywhere in the in the world yeah. that Warren Ellis just wanted to be like existential about. You know, he did. It was just something that he. You know, it's it's fucking Warren Ellis. Um, but I think the overall, like the core of the book, is really solid. Mm. I always wanted to see a fight between the carrier and ship from planetary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did. That is one of the things that I did like about it when uh, Midnighter goes back to the ship after being in the thing, and he's just like, um, he's like, "Well, you guys are all occupied, and the other guys, is, I have nowhere the fucking clue they are. So I'm just going to take over the ship for a while." And Jenny Sparks is like, "What?" <laughs> and it's that farting sound you hear. Yeah, that's their forced field, forced field popping. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just right. He's just he like, right he's just like, city. fuck it, I'm ramming the ship into the building. And one of the, that. I thought that was it was kind of funny. Like it was one of the more well delivered, cheesy one liners. Is when is when uh, what's his the the bad guy is looking out the window at the ship coming. He's going and goes. I just wanted to have some fun. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, um, I I actually I really enjoyed this book more than I thought I would. It's it it does take a little bit of um, uh, interpretation. You have to you have to. Dial back and yeah. send your mind back to 1999 to read it without, um, without, you know, doing doing the classic uh, fucking J.R.R. Tolkien stole all these ideas from George R.R. R. Martin. Um, Say <laughs> <laughs> what you need. No, that's yeah. that's the point. That's yeah. why I was I purposely okay. said it that way. Oh. Um, so you have to you know you have to dial back and make sure that those the tropes and things that are in this you realize there weren't tropes back then. Um, but it's it's fantastic. It's it's Games a really Workshop good. Totally ripped off World of Warcraft, <laughs> right? So yeah, it's really it's I think it's a really good book. And uh, if we're going to go into buy borrow burn, which we should, uh, I would say buy. I I enjoy it. I liked it. I, I would buy it. I, I wait. I did buy it. I, I love this book. Solid buy. It's just it's fun. It's got some good points. Um, some of the later runs are a little bit rough, but like the first two years worth is great. Yeah. See, and that's one of the things that I was actually going to say is that I would buy it um, with the caveat that it. I've heard that it kind of it falters a lot, especially after the reboot after September 11th. I've yeah, heard that it's kind of, mm. but it, so you can read uh year one and year two, which is the Ellis run and the NS run. No, that's or, Ella, it's uh, Millar Millar runs yeah. and end there and be perfectly content. Yeah. It's just good. Um The other stuff, I like the character, so I followed it past that. Uh, sure. There, if you really, really like the book, there's those amazing absolute editions. Yeah. Of both the Ellis run and the Millar runs. And they're collected. Are there hardcovers of those runs that aren't absolute? Yes. Okay, because that's... There, there's what multiple, a... multiple different versions of... <laughs> no. Yeah. DC? No. It's, it's madness. There's like Wildstorm versions, DC God. versions. Like I said with this one, I think there's four different versions of the... of. There are four different trades that have the first four issues in them. Wow. That's ridiculous. But it's easy to get, is what you're saying. There's plenty of different ways that you can get this book. We got it on Comixology. It's it's available um, because as smart smart as uh, DC and Mar- Marvel putting their back catalog in Comixology is just fantastic. It's so. I, we do not have a plan for the show. 
coming after Emerald City Comic Con yet. Uh, during Emerald City Comic Con, we will announce what our next like four or five issues are. I know that episodes uh, that is going to be episode sixty four. I know that our episode seventy long read is going to be Bone. Um, is that our third anniversary or second? Emerald City. It's our third. third. It's our third Emerald City. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. So it's it's technically our third anniversary from episode zero. Because I know that we missed a few. There was that that rough patch and where we missed a few episodes and had a had kind of a break, which is why we're only on episode sixty three instead of we should be on episode like seventy three. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So we've been Emerald City will will be our third uh, the the an, our third anniversary of doing the show. That's really fucked up. <laughs> why? It's just it doesn't seem like it's been three years. Yeah, it doesn't. This show this show has kind of gone by. Going by pretty fast, hasn't it? It's kind of fun, it? isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, so yes, we will be at Emerald City Comic Con next weekend. We will have. Uh, we are at Artist no. Alley Table I fifteen. We'll be there on the 29th? We'll be there twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth. There will be somebody at the table. I will warn everybody that um, our our table manning is going to be a little more lax this year than it was last year, uh, because there's not a whole lot of reason for us to be at the table the whole time, um, but. There will be people at the table for most of the weekend, and we will be, you know, talking. We will have some interviews going. We will do some shows while we're there. Uh, we've got. We're going to have, at at the very least, the there are two sets of interviews we're going to do. We're going to have Ed Brisson and Johnny Christmas from Sheltered. It's going to be so awesome. Um, we're going to talk to them, and we are also going to have uh, Curtis Weeb and Rock Up Church from Rat Queens. I'm love that too. Um, so that. At the very least, those two interviews will happen. I'll try and get some more lined up at the show, which is usually how we run interviews because we'll literally walk around to artist alley tables and like meet up with somebody and be like, "Hey, you want to do an interview? Come over to our table like two blocks away," and <laughs> they'll be like, and they're just like, "Yeah, fuck it, we got some time and sit down." And but that's how we got uh, Colin Bunn. Yeah, like we literally talked to him the day of the show and we're like, "Hey, tomorrow you got some free time? You want to come talk to us on our show?" And he's like, "Oh, sure." And wandered over and talked to us at our table, so it was pretty awesome. Awesome. I don't think we're ever going to have as many guest interviews as we did two years ago. No, no. Two years ago was was when the we went kind of ape the mother load. We had went ape shit on them, and we're terrible interviewers. So all of us are just bad at it. Like but I, I sort of feel like that you know if you want to listen to like hard news about what's upcoming from creators, listen to something else. If you want to listen to <laughs> creators talk about what they want to talk about and love to talk about, yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for. Yeah, because we're not we're not. We're not, not getting, asking the hard questions. We're not getting paid to do this job. We're doing this as a hobby, and so we want our shows to come across like that, right? We want our we want our interviews to be creators talking about what they they can pimp whatever they want to pimp. Fuck, they could talk about their favorite food for all we care. Um, because uh, one of our one of the I think one of the f- most fun things about the interviews we did two years ago was that we told all those creators outright, um, you don't have to pimp stuff that you don't want to pimp. You don't necessarily have to be in sales mode because, you know, we want you to just be able to come on the show and talk about whatever whatever you want to talk about. That's, I mean, especially when you're doing an like a an impromptu thing at the show, right? Yeah. Where you're just getting up and wandering over. That's what happened with Brian uh, Brian Glass. Was we were just at his table one day, or I was at his table. And I was like, "Hey, you got a minute?" And he's like, eh, "Sure." And he came over and he just bullshitted with us for a while, and that was fantastic. So yeah, Emerald City Comic Con, we are going to do interviews and we will do a show centered around uh, Sheltered. Uh, the Sheltered trade came out last month and great. Um, it is fantastic and we are going to be reviewing that on the show. Uh, the only person I think that won't be here for that will be Eddie because he's off gallivanting around the cosmos somewhere. He's in the ship. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Anne, Anne and Andy and Joel and I will all be at the table at some point during the weekend. Uh, we're going to be sitting right next to Micatron, so maybe we'll wrangle Micatron into talking about something on the show too. The um, question is, who's going to be to our other side? Oh, uh, there's, well, yeah, I don't know who's on our other side, but I know that we are. Um, Micatron's table and our table are the two tables that make up the end cap of our section. So we're like so, legitimate now. We've been there yeah, long we, enough that we are legit, and we're on an outside row or an inside row that people walk by all the time. So people are actually going to see us. It's fucking weird. It's going to be really it's going to be really strange. So, but yeah, uh come see us at Emerald City Comic Con and on that show we will announce our next five probably five or six episodes leading up in, leading up to our bone long read. 
Uh, thank you, Andy, for joining us on a Sunday morning. Not a problem. Thank you, Joel, for coming up here. You're welcome. <laughs> we will. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> we will that see was, you guys. That was Luke fucking with me. <laughs> uh, are you really thankful? Uh, yes. Okay. Because if you didn't come up here, there wouldn't be as much comedy on the show. It'd be fireside <laughs> chat time. <laughs> I'd have to perfect my NPR voice. <laughs> Uh, thanks guys for listening we will see you guys at Emerald City Comic Con in two weeks and we are out